Yes, Prabhu. I was wondering. Wait, the separate mic's coming. In seven seconds or less. Thank you. Today I was reading the second canto of the Bhagavatam, and Prabhupada was explaining that devotional service is the only religion. And I've heard it said over and over again, Prabhupada makes this statement. Islam, Judaism, Christianity, these are all just designations. And uh, I've been wondering, does the Hare Krishna movement fit into one of those designations? Is this like a temporary religion? Well, when you're buying gold, there's not much importance of whether it's gold from... Africa or gold from California. What you ask when you're looking at gold is how pure is it? And there's a system, as you well know, when it's 24 karat gold, then it's said to be pure gold, and it's the most valuable at that point. So the gold standard in understanding any process from whatever culture it comes from whatever their particular system is, is described in the beginning of the Bhagavatam, Sadai Pum Sam Parodharmo Yatu Bhaktirad Hoksaje, Ahitukiya Pratyata Yaya Asu Prasiditi. That process by which one can be engaged in unmotivated and uninterrupted service to the Supreme is the best system. And Gold is valuable wherever you find it. So those who are spiritual scientists look for that particular quality in any process and including in our own. For instance, if you're following the process of devotional service but you've mixed it with other ideas, it may not be as valuable. Whereas if you're following uh, carefully and without motivation, then it's much more valuable and potent and so forth. So, that's the important way to look at it, because that has some meaning. And it's something that we can learn to develop and we can learn to distinguish between one process and another. What's unmotivated and what's interrupted service is described throughout the Srimad Bhagavatam, the different standards of devotional service. Is there another question? Yes, Prabhu? Hare Krishna. I was wondering, I've noticed many times I try to balance my regulation and my, just my health um, with being selfless in service. And I know sometimes I much there is in it right now, or not enough, and then I'm taking too much time for myself. So I was wondering 
here. You could explain a little bit how to find the nice balance between self-care and selfless service. One thing that helps is to make sure that in the basic ways in which you're taking care of your body, you attend to it in the healthiest ways possible. For instance, in diet, doesn't matter what else you do, if you have a poor diet, you're going to suffer either sooner or later. So if you're careful about that, and uh, Prabhupada was careful, he, uh, he ate on time, he ate prasadam that was hot, and he was careful to um, eat the right things. And he also walked every day. And if you build those kinds of things into your schedule and make it a priority, then it helps. In the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, Yukta hara viharasya, yukta cheshtasya karmasu, yukta svapnavabodasya yoga bhavati dukaha. He said, don't eat too much and don't eat too little. Don't sleep too much and don't sleep too little. That's been a big one. We had an understanding from the time I joined the movement. In fact, when I was here in Denver, we did many heroic, foolish acts. <laughs> and we used to stay in that room next to the restaurant. And all we ate was puffies every day for a while. Of course, they were kind of opulent, but that was it. That was it. And sleeping, that was reduced as far as possible. And uh, anyway, it wasn't always fruitful. But um, Krishna says, don't eat too much, don't eat too little. And uh, don't recreate too much, don't recreate too little. But my point here is, try to build it into your schedule so it's part of your regular daily routine because consistency over time makes a big difference as far as your health goes. Being really careful about your diet, and avoiding like a lot of sugar or any, or um, fried kinds of things, and you know what to look for. It's kind of common sense. You should eat a rainbow diet and avoid, you know, a lot of opulent kinds of things. That'll help a lot. And also, if you find yourself uh, with way too much, then get in touch with uh, yourself and the people who are helping you, you know, organize your schedule and just make sure that you're getting enough rest and um, enough time to process what you're doing. Another question? Someone else? Yes. So I've been reflecting on how it's very easy to become complacent around devotees that you live with and with every single day. Uh, you know, I was noticing that, like, looking back when I was pretty new to the ashram, everything was fresh. It was so much easier to really appreciate the, the wonderful qualities that all the devotees here have so much. And I noticed that, like they say, familiarity breeds contempt, that becoming very familiar with devotees, sometimes it's, I get in modes where I just like overlook their good qualities. So how can one maintain that, that sort of freshness and really appreciate devotees and avoid Rupa Goswami gives advice in the beginning of the Upadeshamrita, Dadati Pratagunati, Guyamakyati Prachiti, Punkte Bojayate Chaiva, Shadvedam Pratilakshanam. And that is that devotees exchange love in six ways. They give prasad, they accept prasad, they give gifts and they accept gifts. 
And they reveal their minds in confidence and hear others reveal their mind in confidence. And you'll find if you take the time to appreciate devotees, especially when catching them doing something right and appreciate it, appreciate them, it creates a really favorable atmosphere. And also go out of your way to, to uh, give thoughtful gifts. And prasadam is something Mother Nidra is expert at. <laughs> Wherever I go in the world, somebody eventually shows up with a bag and says, this is from Mother Nidra. <laughs> <laughs> it's Radha Govinda Mahaprasadam. <laughs> and you know how I feel. It, it, you, know, you never forget those kinds of things when somebody goes out of their way. It doesn't take a lot to really touch somebody's heart. It's just a little attention and thoughtfulness. And that really helps uh, to remember how special people are and for them to reciprocate with you. So don't wait for them to come to you and try to reveal all their great qualities. Try to search them out and go out of your way to, to appreciate devotees in different ways by your speech, by your gift giving and things like that. That can help a lot. What else? Yes. Microphone on the Nidra. still trying to get a little drop. But we did pick out Bhaktivinoda Thakur's disappearance day, which is at usually in June, as a time to hold one of our first marathons. And we picked it out because I've always been particularly fond of Bhaktivinoda Thakur's bhajans and his whole um, presentation of Christian consciousness and lifestyle felt very connected, and it seemed like uh, a good time to, to try for this. And so we offered all the results of our first MSF to Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur. And then that became the norm for all of our MSFs. We don't offer daily scores, we save them all up, and we're, during the MSF, Monthly Sankatan Festival, what we're doing is we're concentrating on making an offering available for the particular holy day we're working towards. So in the beginning of the year, it's Nityananda Treyodisi. And the devotees are going out thinking, that let's put together a nice offering for Lord Nityananda. And on the day of Lord Nityananda's appearance day, then we'll all gather around um, Srila Prabhupada's Vyasasana, and we'll read a, a combined um, offering from all the devotees as a team. And as you know, we don't do any individual scores. It's all the team offering. And that's the meditation that we're doing it for Srila Prabhupada and that particular deity on that day. 
Because you can have a festival of fruits and flowers, but if you actually offer the results of Sankirtan, they're much more pleased. And we did have an awareness that that might attract their attention more. So we try for that. And incidentally, when we first started, we, did, we really um, didn't have much. And we started in a very simple way. There was only a, a couple, three devotees, four devotees going out. And uh, we didn't have any money. And um, I remember coming back from New Vrindavan and I, I had seen their smart table and I said, let's start one here, and we couldn't afford a smart table then. It was $100, and they told us, um, that is the temple president said, well, you'll have to collect the money yourself because the temple doesn't have any money for a table to set up a smart table. So somehow we got donations and we got that. And then we, uh, we had our first MSF where we, where we go to two spots instead of just one. So we divided the team and they went out and that was a big victory. And we also, along the way, we celebrated every victory that we had. And if someone would call me uh, throughout the day or night and said, you know, I distributed three books, it was a huge celebration. Or even if they did one book, or if they just went out, everything uh, was celebrated as, as a, a big victory. And uh, then after some time, I remember, um, I, we were gaining some momentum and I suggested a, um, a larger goal. And some of the devotees said, but that's impossible. I mean, I think you're pushing it a little too far. And then I wrote an article that's still on Dandavats about the power of thinking big and how important it is. To th were you there then? Do you remember that? Thinking big. And, then, and it convinced them that, yeah, we should try for this. And that was a bigger victory because it was beyond what anybody thought we could ever do. And Lord Chaitanya let us uh, achieve that because of the efforts of devotees. So then the devotees kept on, they, they developed a hunger for setting more, uh, more goals, loftier goals, progressive goals. And I'm pleased to say that in the years since we started, which I think is 2007, I have the first poster for that that we made. We've, uh, we have never missed a goal. And sometimes uh, when it's, you know, the goal gets bigger and bigger, everyone thinks, how, how is it going to be possible this time? <laughs> but Lord Chaitanya always comes through, and that creates a kind of faith in the devotees that we're not doing it. It's Lord Chaitanya. And we just have to keep trying for it. We used to, at every MSF, we'd make a huge poster. It was, I mean, it's gigantic is bigger than that Lord Nishingadev painting. We'd have an original artwork done every month. And devotees were asking, why are you spending so much on something that we're going to... And I said, I want it to feel like <laughs> you better live up to this poster. Because <laughs> we just spent a couple hundred dollars on it every month. And I wanted to keep that pressure that, you know, this is important. And, and we should really try to grow and grow. And... Um, it is a way that the community, whole community becomes energized. As I've mentioned before, and, oh, I hope I have it in the last 12 hours here, but this going out for book distribution is, brings oxygen to the community because it's an organism. 
this community, every community is an organism and it has to breathe. And the way our, our organism, an organization breathes is by experiencing the mercy of Lord Chaitanya by going out and taking a risk. A risk of one's own uh, self-esteem that, well, maybe I'll be rejected. Or, um, you know, what will happen when I go out. So the devotees just depend on Lord Chaitanya to go out. And then when they see the miracles happen, even the smallest of little miracles, like, you know, they meet somebody who's already looking for the Bhagavad Gita or something like that. And there are many, many more. You have catalogs of them. So then they come back with that uh, lightness of step and, and the excitement that this is real and that Krishna consciousness is meant for everybody. And they see how there are people hankering for it and also people that are suffering and also people that are, who reject it out of hand, out of... Uh, what must be ignorance because they don't even inquire what it is. They just say, I'm not interested. So that comes back into the temple and that, that's what uh, gives life to an organization is that missionary spirit of going out and meeting the people and giving them an opportunity to, to take Krishna consciousness, especially Krishna conscious literature is very uh, important. Oh, you'd be great. I guarantee you. In fact, I'll personally show you, if you like. We can go tomorrow sometime. Uh, but it's... First of all, book distribution is fun and easy. It, it's, it's not hard at all. You just go out and depend on Krishna. And uh, the idea is that uh, everything is is meant to bring people closer to Christian consciousness. And we're all working together as a team. So when there's this uh, bent towards going out and meeting people and bringing them back, then everybody who's in the temple and has uh, services that are just as important as going out, they feel also the oxygen. Because for instance, Pujaris, think about the life of a Pujari. It's a, it's a great sacrifice. Practically, they're on call 24 hours a day. And then when they come in early in the morning, there's nobody else here except the Lord and them. And they take time to... Uh, they're meditating on how to dress the Lord in such a beautiful way. And then what if nobody comes to the Arctic? I mean, how they feel. Or if somebody who gives classes 
That's what they do. And then nobody shows up. How do they feel? Of course, they're very advanced. They'll feel, oh, I can preach to the four walls. But that's what Srila Bhaktisiddhanta said once. And those who are cooking, like Nandasuno likes to feed the devotees. That's his life and soul. So we have no devotees show up. So when devotees are out, first of all, when they come back, everyone feels happy that let's make it nice for, for everyone who's going out because you know, they want to be enlivened. And when they bring new people, like last night, there were six new people here, then everyone feels uh, a, a part of the team, that they're all taking care of somebody who's coming in. And the, the new people coming into the community remind us oftentimes of the way we felt when we first were introduced to Krishna consciousness. That's another kind of oxygen. And I felt it last night when I was talking to all those young people, and they had such bright faces and an eagerness to hear. And uh, I was, you know, it was drawn out of me to speak. I was, I was feeling inspired by it. And that adds to the, to the mood. For in, um, in Hungary, Shivaram Maharaj, who's an old Sankirtan devotee, has set up the Krishna Volgi, their whole, they're, they're very much focused on, on um, deity worship and book distribution. So when people come to the temple to see the deities, it's actually set up for people to come in and meet the deities. They have a fan over the side that you can pull the chain and it fans the deities. And then uh, you know, they want to bring prasadam to the people who come. So they have a, this first time wonderful experience. And so there's no dichotomy between the outside. It's all set up with the idea that the real altar of worship ultimately is on the heart of the conditioned soul. Because Krishna is there within the heart. And the main purpose of Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was to give to everybody this gift and give them a chance to come closer. And that's why Prabhupada took the trouble to set up the temples and things like that. So when that mood pervades, then there's a unity between everyone. And every, every other service takes on a, a special meaning when that mood is there that we're bringing people back. Thank you for asking that question. It's really important. Uh, that's why we started the monthly Sankirtan Festival. Originally, at ISV, and that's where it all started, the MSF, was <clears throat> devotees are busy. They have families, they have jobs, they have services, and how would they possibly have time to do book distribution? So we said, well, at least once a month, for one day, we'll all go out together. And then nobody will feel alone, and it, it will be really easy, and and also we stipulated that we're not going out to distribute books, we're only going out to touch the pavement. And once we get out there, we'll touch the pavement and then we're done for the day. Unless you want to do anything extra, you can try book distribution, but we don't make a big deal about the results. And that's how it started with that idea that, you know, let everyone have the experience of crossing the threshold of the temple or their house or apartment and feel that exhilaration that, what am I going to do now? I just committed to this. And that's where you want to live, on, a little bit on the edge. So 
my idea when, when I suggested that program was that everyone should have the, the opportunity to feel that. And that helps everyone feel con the connectedness within the temple and it inspires them in their all-important services that they're doing. And, uh, you know, the, the organization is just like a body also. Which part is dispendable, really? They're all important and they all have to be working together. And that feeling is created a lot when, when everyone has the opportunity to go out. So once a month is, is something that we found, it's a point in time when we get ready. And the hardest part of the monthly Sankirtan festival is just a troop movement. It's how to move human beings from one spot to another and you know, actually get them there and take the paraphernalia they need, like books and boxes and water on hot days and things like that. And all that creates a kind of um, a forced efficiency, as we were talking about this morning, because there's a point in time. And we found that building a month when we'd all go out together, and only for a couple hours, actually. And we also told everyone they can participate in any way they want. First of all, you can come out if you like, and you don't have to do anything, you can just watch when you come out. Second is you can give money to help subsidize. And third thing is you can do backup services, like making prasadam, helping to drive the devotees. And the fourth thing is you can just be an advocate. If you don't have time for the other things, just advocate it and tell people if they ask you, yeah, it's a good idea, I think you should do it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and that way, it's like everyone feels distributing many, as many books in as many languages all over the world and the Krishna Consciousness Movement will, uh, it will expand automatically. And so, you know, we took it literally. And we've found that keeping it as one of our main focuses at ISV, it's helped all the programs uh, to develop at the same time. And there isn't a feeling there that uh, you know, book distributors are special. Uh, everyone else is some kind of a, uh, you know, a peon. But it, it's, everyone shares in the dividends of that. And I don't know anybody, including the newborns who don't go out at ISV, because everyone feels part of, you know, of that energy, it takes advantage of it. Did that help? Yeah. Okay. Okay, one, two. Hare Krishna, thank you. Just on the same theme, you know, starting with something humble, small, and you know, really expanding it. ISV is known around the world for having excellence in broadcasting. The Brihadaranga, the, the Krishna Kata, the Kirtans, the seminars, and visiting sadhus, initiation ceremonies, everything is uh, appreciated by so many Buddhas around the world. But, level of quality of the broadcasting, camera angles and everything, that had this hot started so something very simple too. So we're just looking at our situation now. We, we made a step in the last few months where we started streaming uh, all of our classes on Facebook. We found that when you can see the, the viewers, the viewers can see the speaker's face and the sound quality is perhaps a little more um, consistent than my TV, that we got some really good feedback. And uh, at the same time, it's easy to kind of take it for granted because we don't usually see the people who are tuning in. So when there's challenges with technology or, I mean, so many things happen, which is, 
don't even know what's wrong sometimes. You know, we've had trouble with the, the feed recently, the audio not being at all intelligible. How do, how do appreciate the, how, can you put it in context for us the, the, the purpose or value of this aspect of our, for a century time, you know, having a, a steady, uh, reliable way for people who are wherever, not here, to hear? Well, I mean, it's the biggest street in the world, is the internet. And we've gone out for so many years on the street and thinking, well, this is the most crowded street or airport, but now we have to be ahead of the game and realize where all the people are and where they're listening. And in, in our, you know, when we realize that, you know, we're, we need to be streaming, and we really didn't know what we were doing, but a couple of devotees who are a little, a little tech-savvy just invested themselves in learning uh, invested their time in learning about how to do it. And I remember we were getting ready for Janmashtami one year. And I don't remember which year it was, but we were still in the old tiny little temple. And I was conducting some program. Sri Rajmarj first came to our temple and he went to use the restroom. It was during a program and he came back and he goes, well, you can hear it even in the bathroom. <laughs> And that was by design. Is that we, put, we put speakers everywhere, including the bathroom, so when you walk out of the temple room, if the program's going on, you don't miss anything for two minutes. And then, you know, we invested hundreds, oh, hundreds of thousands of dollars in technology. And we're not even where we want to be yet. I mean, it's, we're, when we get our new temple, you know, we're looking at, bigger and better things. I have a few been to Las Vegas. Anyone? Anyone? Um, okay, thanks. Um, <laughs> you know, some of those places, I've looked around there, and, I mean, they have the most mind-boggling technology and ways of doing it. I want that for our temple. That, you know, it's an, you walk in and there's the most... Uh, interactive and um, informative and, you know, just stunning kinds of presentations, like a whole wall, uh, or all the walls, you know, could be um, transmitting messages, changing uh, landscapes, everything. You know, people could walk in and you're in Vrindavan, and then... And so there, there's no end to how much you can put into technology. But I, I would just say this, it's one of the best returns on investment you can get from any place in the world. In fact, even if you just live in a little you know, closet-sized preaching center, if you get your, your broadcasting going on a high level, you can beat out you know, other temples who don't really take um, much care in that. You know, they don't have a broadcast, or it's hard to watch, or hard to hear, or something like that. If you get your broadcasting together, you can have a bigger audience. Is that what you wanted me to say? Okay. So I always recommend it wherever I go in any project that I have any influence on. I always say invest in, t in the technology for broadcasting. Don't hold back there. It's worth it to make it better and be innovative. You can program. You can do all kinds of stuff. Also, another part of technology I think is really important. While well, I'm at it, just giving free advice here. Is, uh, I think it's really important to, to when you walk in the temple 
or anywhere else in the temple is to consider it from the point of view of the newcomer who's just coming for the first time. Obviously, you're doing that. You're really on the cutting edge in so many ways. That's why you have so many nice people here. Uh, exemplary. Uh, what I've seen oftentimes is, it, let's just say you wanted to sing a song and not everybody knows it. And then, you know, someone will say, you have a songbook? And like, I think we have one, it's in the back. And then, you know, <laughs> there's rubber bands and sweaters and all kinds of stuff flying out. And they come out with a dog-eared one, you know. And then he turns like, oh, that page is missing. <laughs> and oftentimes I see, you know, when we're doing programs like, uh, you know, even the morning program, it's like, here's the 10 offenses. First offense, and, you know, there's a new person sitting in the corner like, what did they just say? <laughs> so what, what I, my vision is, and what we've, we've been doing at ISV, is think of it in terms of how to make sure everybody has access to the information all the time, from the time they walk in. So that's why we put up screens like that on both sides of the temple room. So now, no matter which way you're facing, you get to see it, and it's, you know, on the screen while you're hearing what the Shastra is and the person in the booth is changing the, the topics and putting up the verses and things like that so people can be more aware. And they're investing in that, that idea like, okay, new person walks in. What do they see? And what is their experience interacting with any of the programs? Do they learn anything? Or after 20 years, they're here. And they can say Hari Bull. And they go, Hari Bowles, everyone goes, ah, they know everything. <laughs> but, you know, if you ask them uh, anything, they might not know it. So reverse engineer what's, you know, the experience of somebody coming in. And it, nobody else will complain. It just makes it more clear and seamless for everybody in the, in the temple room or where, wherever you're doing your programs and making them in it. Who am I talking to right now? Okay. That was you. Yeah, so I just went off on a tangent. But that's another thing to invest in. Ways in which you can constantly make the information clear to people so they can see it, clear to all the devotees too, so they don't have to run to find that one songbook missing the right page at, and, and uh, you know, piled under all the sweaters. And everyone has to share it. Okay. I was going to say, did you, did you do that with just, just like a screen? Because I, I watched yeah. the programs. So you have the screens. Do you put a projector or they use the projector? Yeah, a projector on either side. It's okay. extended from the ceiling yeah. and then it points down and it's remote control. And it's all wired into the, into the control booth. Okay. So, so they, it's hooked up to the computer. And then, you know, so you see on the side. It's great, but it could be, I mean, it's good, but it could be great. It could be a lot better. And, and there's a lot you can do, and there's a lot of ideas we can get from people around the world who are thinking in those ways, even just for anything, and we can use that for Krishna service, make a unique experience for people. Nagar Kirtan Prabhu. Um, so, just thinking of the principle mentioned in the Bhagavad Gita, Jivasya, Jivanam, the, the uh, living entity, 
following as well as expensive any of the things that we we use are either made in China or made of polyester or made some from some rare minerals that are mined in the earth and you know cause so many issues. So or taken from the octopuses or who knows what, right? So I'm just wondering, um, um, there's this principle that you're speaking about of, uh, of it's basically you're talking about the acting for the benefit of others, always trying to benefit as many people as possible through the use of this technology, and then the principle of not unnecessarily harming uh, the earth or other living entities, how do these principles um, um, reconcile and how, how do we how do we balance both of those principles without sacrificing one uh, blindly? Well, Narada Muni says in the fifth chapter of the first canto of the Bhagavatam, oftentimes you have to take a thorn out with a thorn. So we use technology, and yes, it has an impact because every breath you take has an impact. That's why there's the punch of yagya because just walking around. Today, you and I probably heard a lot of microbes in the snow by stepping on them. So that's why everything should be used for yagya, and technology should also be used in order to help purify people's hearts and reach them where they live. It was the principle of Srila Bhaktisiddhanta and obviously Rupa Goswami, Anasaktasya Vishayan, Itarham Nirbandha Krishna Sambande, Yuktam Vairagya the real renunciation means to use everything that's available in the service of the Supreme Personality of God. And if you reject anything that can be used, this is called very weak or false renunciation. So we should be careful, and also part of preaching is to set an example, like the eco-village that we have in... Uh, in Maharashtra, it sets an example for using things from the earth and being careful. And everywhere else, we should try to set that example as much as possible. But other than that, um, we're not Luddites. We don't reject technology out of hand because it can be used in the service of the, of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And you can also move to a farm. Which is important to to actually nighttime from the bhakti center from the top floor out on the balcony there. It's well, actually, I used to look at it from the the old Harinam ashram up on the roof, and there you can one of the devotees that lived there was saying, "See, it's aga, it's aga asura," because it has the the spine of all the buildings going up and like that. And, uh, and there's a way in which, you know, we have to, we fight Agasura on behalf of Lord Chaitanya. Hope that's not Rasa Basa. Okay, other questions? Prabhu. Yeah. Very unique. 
Um, but I wanted to say, when, what advice would you have um, when you're trying to build some sort of a community and you're making um, different events, like whether it's a home program or it's the Sunday feast or any sort of um, programs that you're kind of making? Um, what what kind of balance is is necessary in terms of catering towards um, someone that just walked out fresh off the street, but then at the same time they're also enlightening, cultivating, and growing and inspiring the people that have been coming for twenty years? Like how do you find that? Balance? Well, what I find is when you cater to the lowest common denominator, meaning that people you cater to the people who are. Uh, completely unacquainted with Christian consciousness, nobody minds. It comes out in a nice kind of message because advanced devotees also like to hear basic philosophy. And that is, especially if they're advanced, they'll like to hear it. And there's, it, it actually is kind of in, right in the, in the realm that it should be in. If you listen to Prabhupada's lectures constantly, you'll notice that he's, he mostly sticks to basics. And then he uses really good metaphors and, and analogies. Like a simple thing, he'll say, like the screw. It's in the machine, it's valuable. If it falls out, then it's just a screw. It doesn't mean anything anymore. It has no value. And people, ah, you know, and simple. Like you can live with that. Most people, uh, especially if they're coming to Sunday program, you know, what they're hoping for is something very practical to change their life. And you'll find that even when people become devotees and you're like talking to them a lot and counseling, 95% of the time they're dealing with personal problems. And, um, you know, when they come into the temple room for the first time or whatever, they don't need to hear about the rasa dance. And neither do the, um, neither do the, um, you know, the other devotees who come regularly. They do need to hear that, of course, uh, but in, the, in, a, in another setting. The Sunday program can be really a showcase. It, it should be the friendliest place on earth. That's what it should be. That's what actually touches people, and that's what gets devotees to come back, too. I mean, somebody can give an erudite speech, and then, you know, and then they stretch their foot out a little bit, and say, put your foot back, you know, that's your offensive. <laughs> Not only that, you're going to hell, so. And then it's like, who cares what the guy just said? It's like, if people are like that, why would I even want to come here? And so devotees, if, if there's a community where the ethos is that, you know, we're friendly to people, we, we actually greet them and take care of them, and people feel that, and they see it, they see the cooperation going on in the temple room, then, then uh, that's what attracts them. They're like, oh, God, I... There's, there's some friendly people here. I could actually be part of this. It's the vibrancy that they like. And everything else, you know, it should just be a sublime atmosphere because of the, the uh, conduct. That helps. And, the, and the, other, the other devotees won't mind. And you can also, you know, make other programs that are geared towards them so they can be nourished and hearing more and more philosophy. Of course, that's you know, part of the ever-expanding community project is making sure that people have access to the kind of training that they need. And uh, that's a project in and of itself. But just, uh, we had, we have what's called the North American Vision Team, where we, it's a think tank, where we take all kinds of ideas 
and um, we churn them and we codify them and to try to give them back to the leaders in North America. And we had Ananda Marari Prabhu on because uh, we appreciated, that is the members of our team, so much what you've all done here with the uh, Sunday program. And so Ananda came on and he told us, well, one of the big things is have a, having a um, hospitality table, and greeting people with actual live people. Can you imagine what it was like before that table was there? They just walk in and they see like, wow, there's a lot of shoes here. <laughs> and, then, and then, wow, people are really like, it's loud. And, I mean, what are they going to do? But, the, you know, there's two nice devotees there and they greet you and, you know, it makes all the difference in the world. So we added that to the repertoire and we're letting everybody know, among other things, that if you want to have a successful Sunday program, you've got to have a hospitality table. And maybe it started here. But everywhere that a hospitality table is there, lo and behold, more people come, more people stay, and, and more people come back. And that's really what's important. Last night, a lot of repeat customers came in the door. I checked the stats on the way out. What else? Any other question? Thank you. Thank you. Speaking of technology, I've been watching the whole time online, so because I was getting off work. Um, I wanted to appreciate uh, um, you mentioning the gold and whether it comes from California or Africa, you know, it's uh, Bali. A lot of my preaching is to people who practice uh, Christian uh, faith and I see selfless love and devotion in our practice as well. And so it's nice not only to have to convert them, but to help them further understand, you know, their practice and, you know, encourage them more of their selfless love and devotion, whatever. As well as, you know, technology as well. Um, and all that. Um, I also want to thank you for your book, um, Our Family Business. Um, it really uh, gave me clarity into what went into the books and the propagating of the Christian consciousness movement um, and the foundation. Um, my attraction is more uh, to the non-fangible and uh, the congregational public chanting of the names. Um, I was wondering if uh, it seems more or less when the book distribution is emphasized. It seems that a lot of the public chanting it kind of goes on the background. Um, can you help explain how uh, maybe we can find balance in that? Or oh, yeah. Actually, as Prabhupada puts it, Harinam, Sankirtan, and book distribution go well together. And uh, we had such a good example of this just on Black Friday. We were downtown San Francisco, and we had, um, we had about 120 devotees out. And we distributed over 3,000 books in a few hours. And one of the reasons that we did is because we had Harinam Sankirtan going on every corner. Every corner had Harinam Sankirtan and book tables at the same time. And uh, what, then they asked me, I was distributing books, and they asked me, would you like to sing. And I said, yeah, I'd like to sing. So I sat down with some of the devotees and we started chanting. And it was magical. I mean, the, the people started crowding around more and more.
in the rain. And uh, we pushed back against the pizza place that last year told us to go away, and now they're out of business. So I don't know. <laughs> that gave us a little extra pleasure when we pushed back against the wall. And, uh, and, and we saw that at that time, more books went out than at any other time. And also, we, we started uh, many, many years ago uh, Harinam Sankirtan, it's part of our monthly Sankirtan festival. So we always, whenever we can, we combine the Harinam, book to, uh, Harinam and the book distribution. Because then what you've got is a festival. And now the, you know, the, the Navy SEALs uh, can go door to door and so forth. And if you're with a group of people, you know, it takes away the sting of just being out there, you know, <laughs> distributing books in the environment. But it's much uh, more important to have the, the, the holy names going at the same time when you're doing the book distribution. The two are complementary. So we started what we called uh, many years ago mini festival, and then we branded it as the Kirtan Oasis. And we have this uh, at least once a month in Palo Alto. And so what started with just a normal the Harinam and then some devotees walking around distributing books, we, uh, we started thinking, like, how can we make this really into... My idea was, when you go to Rathayatra, you'll notice that people walk into the environment and then they say, this is amazing. And by the way, which book should I take? You know, they, they just get swept away. They're in the vortex and, the, and they get caught in there. So I said, we could definitely do the same thing, create the same environment but without spending $150,000 on Rathiatra, which is what it costs to put on a medium-sized Rathiatra these days, and get all the permits and the carts and the Festival of India and the Prashadam and all that. And um, so uh, we started investigating, and one of the things we found out was the park that we're in called Lytton Plaza. Uh, we looked on their website in the town, and it turns out they give a permit. For, for you to put up some booths and stuff like that. And you can have the whole park for, you know, several hours. It's a plaza. And so we went down to the city hall, did our, uh, you know, legal crew, and they said, we'd like to get a permit for the, the plaza. And they said, um, oh, we don't do that. And they said, no, I think you do. It's right here on your website. And they said, oh, you do. <laughs> and for $75, we get the whole plaza, which is as probably, I don't know, bigger than this temple room. And not only that, we get to set up booths. So what we have is a stage. We have a, a really nice carpet we roll out. And we have these, uh, they look like onyx pillars, but they're actually plastic. But we put lights in them, and we have a light show. You know, there's a, there's a whole team that puts it together. There's a light and then we have booths all over the place. There's a meditation booth in the back. Free meditation lessons. They go and they put on headsets and then the, the teacher speaks to them and they can hear through the headsets so they don't hear the noise outside. And we have this whole guided meditation thing where they go through. And then you have big booths, face painting for the kids. It, you know, it's like a Rathiatra, but without $150,000. And then we invested in the sound system. We have both speakers. We have the whole sound panel and a crew there working, so the Harinam sounds primo.
I mean, this, the sound vibration coming out of there is wow. So what happens is people are on their way to, you know, uh, have a little reverie uh, on a Friday or Saturday night, and they're walking down the street, you know, thinking, what are we going to, where's the restaurant, where's the bar? And then they run into this, and, they, and they, they're torn. You can see it. And they're going, well, everything we wanted, dancing. Dancing is incredible. There's a whole dance crew, and they're dancing, and when they see people going this, they go in and gently invite them in, and they get everybody seriously dancing, not just a few drunk people. And, and so it's turned into this thing that, um, you know, is a mini festival, and it all is orchestrated. And what we find is the more you put into the Harinam, the more you... So obviously, anybody hears the holy name, says it once, accidentally hears it, swears at the devotees and says the holy name, they get eternal benefit. But they get more benefit if their heart's open and they go like, this is great. I like this. I want to be this. And then they stand there and that's what happens. The more we've engineered it and the more we've, you know, even the tunes we do, we've found out that there's certain tolls that you play that catch people. And if you go too fast, too slow, you just catch one tall, it's a trance melody, and you leave it there. And just don't go messing around, don't get too Bengali on them, don't, you know, it doesn't have to be like, you know, fancy, it just has to be sweet. And they catch, and they won't go, and they go and they buy books, and they go and take prashadam, they go sit in the meditation booth, and then they want to know when's the next one. It's religion on the street. So... My vision is, and we're working on this now with a, a branding a group, is to have a branded Harinam. So when you look at it, it's, you know, it's first class. It's not a you know, 1960s Madras. And you know, whatever, everyone's sitting on the, floor, on the ground and it's like, you know, are these guys legal? But it's a, <laughs> it's a festival. You, know, you look at it and you go like, this is, they, they have a sense that this is, this is first-class professional. There's an organization behind that. So my vision is to expand the Harinam unlimitedly. And to that end, about five, six years ago, I started a website. It's still there. It's called the Kirtan Revolution. And it tracks all the Harinams around North America. And you look at the map, and there's a little, there's a little tracking thing on there about, the, the, according to the size of it, that's how many Harinams they did. And we put all kinds of news on there, because... I want to promote Harinam like anything, because the two things go together. So th that's my vision. More street presence, but first class for the Hari Krishnas. And uh, you know, everything that, that will attract them. And I see that it really works. We always have people come to the temple afterwards. In fact, we've made devotees, you know, they're walking down the street, they say, this is for me. And then they just walk in the door and they say, sign me up. So the Harinam is the answer. More Harinam, but you know, think about it, make it thoughtful. And the same way I was talking about the room, when you walk in, what people are seeing and how they're going to interact with, with the people on the Harinam. Yes, it's important to, to broadcast it from everywhere, but find out how to make it sticky. So when they go in, they can't get out. Does that help? Yes. Okay. Well, we have a few more minutes. What are the questions? <laughs> Dare I? 
<laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Dare I? Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Well, your class this morning had a question I wanted to ask. Oh, please. Yeah, you said that uh, you were talking about taking those all, you know, writing everything down, and um, uh, specifically when one is chanting japa, there's, a, there's a, obviously a very important principle, which is to not break the japa whenever possible, unless it's like emergency or something like that. They continue to focus on the holy name. And then there's this, also this other principle you were talking about, about that you know, when you have an idea or a thought or something like that, it could slip away and might not ever come back again. So you got to write it down. So it's kind of hard sometimes because when I'm chanting Java, I may be having a flood of you know, new ideas. But at the same time, I'm like, wait a second. This is like, ultimately, everything's in the holy name. So I mean, if I just chant, and Krishna will give me the remembrance I need. I'll need to depend on my, my uh, own wrangling material energy in order to remember what I need to remember. Because I'm chanting, and that's sufficient. So, so how's that working out for you? Well, it helps my Okay. Well, then, then do that then. If it helps your japa, it's fine. I find, when I, what I look for when I'm chanting japa is a gift. I'm looking for a gift. They don't come very often. But if there's a gift, it's like you're at, you know, you're at the beach and the wave comes up and it's like, Hey, wait a minute. Is that a diamond? It is. You know, I'm going to take the time to like brush it off and put it in my pocket and make sure no one watched me. You know, I, <laughs> and and so you know, if I'm chanting and something comes in, and I go, that's definitely a gift. I don't want to miss it. And that you know, one gift I get in chanting japa, like an idea. I, I mean, I could use that for 5, 10, 20 years. Some of them I have. I wrote it down and like, this is just a gift from Krishna. He just gave me a gift. And so I want to, you know, honor it. I'm trying to honor it. So it doesn't break my meditation at all. In fact, what happens is later on, I'll go back and look at those and I'll enter back into that feeling that, wow, I was there when that gift came in. And that, that's important. But... You know, it is, it is vital that we achieve absorption. And that's what we're trying for in all our practices, to, to achieve absorption. Because at the level of absorption, which means, and I, I have this basic way of thinking about this recently, and that is that if you're watching the clock and thinking, like, when I'm going to finish this round, and when it, I mean, nothing wrong with timing your rounds. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I'm just saying for myself, if I'm noticing, like, God, I'm going to be over it. You know, this is, I only have to chant till this time. I'm in the flow of, of the material time. And when I forget about it, and I have no conception that I'm even in the middle of a round or end of a round, that's absorption. And that's the place where not only learning takes place, but the anartists start getting washed away by themselves. And so trying for, organizing a life around getting to that place when I do job or any other service, I can be in the, in the level of absorption. That's where real advancement takes place. And that's why we've you know, mentioned there's offenses that are going to distract you from being absorbed. There's all kinds of lifestyle changes you can make to, to achieve more absorption. And that's the goal of yoga. It's that samadhi. You what? Is it? Oh, good. I was hoping for that. Thank you. Thank you very much. 
So we've come to the end of our time, and thank you very, very much for your um, excellent questions and for all that you're doing here because you have some of the best minds in North America brainstorming, working, and it's, the results are showing here. Uh, very evident, especially in the most essential areas, which is taking care of people and uh, inviting new people into the space. So congratulations to all you're doing. Keep up the good work. And, and anything that we do, it can always be better, but always appreciate what you have at the moment. And then reach for the stars. Gore Premanande Haribo.